You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. You can open up your Bible to the book of First Timothy. That is where we're going to be today. Uh, we're going to look at a couple different verses. Uh, we're going to start in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, though, so you can uh, start there. Um, purposefully waited till this point in the service to mention Ed Tooney, who many of you, when you hear that name, you know him right away. You know, uh, you have known him for a long time. Some of you, if you're a college student just coming in this Sunday, you would have no idea who he was or why we have all those flowers in the lobby out there. But that's even just, I can see through the glass back there, a visual testimony to how many people uh, Ed impacted. I, I waited till now because I think Ed exhibited uh, something that I, I want us to, to see from the Word of God today. He was living proof that God, I would say this way, amongst many other things, he was living proof that God can bridge the generation gap. Uh, Ed was 73, I believe, when he passed away this week, uh, unexpectedly and suddenly. He was 73. Um, but amongst the people of our church, many of us knew him and loved him and appreciate him. But I would say, pro- I think it would probably be fair to say that the people in our church who appreciated him the most were those who were about three years old. The, the kids who, as uh, they walk in the front door, or the side door, whichever one he happened to be at that morning, that he would kneel down to and give high fives to. Uh, that he would, when they needed a drink from the water fountain, would lift them up and, and help them uh, get a drink of water. Who would, uh, as one person I heard this week say, Ed wasn't just somebody who would hold doors open for people, but was somebody who would look for people to hold doors open for. Uh, that, that he had a servant's heart, but particularly for kids. Uh, that they, and my kids loved him. Uh, they appreciated him. That he would help uh, us when our kids would get squirrely. He would help us when we get in name tags. He would help us. He would go out to our van sometimes to help us bring uh, kids in, things like that. He demonstrated this ability, even as a 73-year-old, to relate to 3-year-olds, to relate to, to 10-year-olds uh, and to his peers as well. And that is so rare in today's world. Uh, to see uh, young people, three-year-olds who love a 73-year-old, and a 73-year-old who gladly and humbly interacts with and serves those who are three, uh, who can do nothing tangibly to, to repay him. Uh, that he was an example of bridging the generation gap. And in our culture, that's so rare today because a lot of times, just for different reasons, we steer clear of each other generationally. Young people kind of steer clear of older people. Older people steer clear of young people unless we happen to be in the same family or we're, we're forced into each other's uh, presence. We often steer clear of each other at best, but at worst, sometimes amongst generations, we look down on each other. We're suspicious of those who are older than us. We're frustrated with those who are younger than us. And there's this generational gap. But Ed was living proof uh, that that doesn't have to be. Uh, that there doesn't have to be this divide. It doesn't have to be this division and separation and, and, and uh, a divide between the generations. And in Scripture, we're going to see this Sunday and next, we're going to see that God's people are to be different. Uh, that, that we're to be people who uh, have different ages among us and who gladly interact with each other, who gladly serve each other, who gladly speak to each other and spend time with each other, who love each other, who serve each other, not who keep distance 
from one another. And we want to take this Sunday and next Sunday as a church family, as we're starting out a school year, as we're, we're in this time of year, uh, before we start our series in 1 Corinthians in a couple weeks, we wanted to, to take two Sundays and first today address younger people among us. And then next Sunday, address older people among us. And I don't want us to tune out whichever I consider myself right in the middle. How about that? But don't, don't tune out uh, whichever category is the opposite of which you would place yourself in. I think as we read the Word of God, we're going to see instructions or even things maybe about our own heart, temptations we face, whichever category uh, we are in. I think we're going to benefit from reading the Word of God together and seeing how are young people today, we'll see, how are young people to interact with an impact those who are older than them in the family of God. The next Sunday, Pastor Larry is going to open up the Word of God from 2 Timothy for us and address us on how older people, older believers, are to invest in those who are younger than them in the family of God. And I'm excited for this. I've been eager for this uh, uh, for several weeks as we've planned this out to be able to share this message today because I think there's much that we can learn, uh, much that we can benefit from, and uh, I, I hope that you will benefit as well. But we're going to start today addressing younger people amongst us, uh, younger believers. Uh, I'm not going to put an age on that, uh, but, but younger people. We're all younger than somebody. There's probably just one of us in the church who is the oldest person, and I won't try to guess who that is. But, but all of us are younger uh, than others in this church. And uh, we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 12, uh, just so we know, not just dropping into the middle of nowhere in the Bible, just flipping open to some random page. We want you to know what this letter was real quick. This was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Timothy was a younger man. He was probably a little bit uh, younger than me, maybe a couple years younger than me. Uh, so in that age bracket in their 30s, and Paul had invested in him a lot. He had raised him up, developed him from a, a young believer into actually a young pastor uh, in Ephesus and even in some ways supervising some churches around Ephesus. And Paul wrote a couple letters to him. This is the first one that he wrote where he was giving him instructions about how to live as a pastor, how to live as a Christian uh, who was, happened to find himself in God's providence leading this church in Ephesus. And Paul, as he wrote him, he talked to him about a lot of different things. But in these verses we're going to see today, it becomes very clear that Paul had a heart for Timothy because he knew there were certain pitfalls Timothy might fall into as a comparatively younger man, as he ministered to those who were older than him and younger than him. But, but Paul knew there were certain pitfalls as this mid-30s pastor would engage with people who were older than him. He knew there were things he might fall prey to, temptations he might be pulled towards. But he also knew there was opportunities, that, that there was an ability, not just of stuff to run away from and be careful of, of how he interacted with older people, but things he wanted him to tell him positively, do this. This is an opportunity that you have as you minister to older people. And we're going to see both of those things as we read these texts today. Both things Paul was cautioning Timothy about, like, don't do this, don't do this. Uh, but things he was encouraging him to do as well. Do this. You need to remember this. This is an opportunity you have as you minister to older people. And so we're going to see two sets of these. Don't do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do this. And we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. So I trust that you've found that. Uh, we're going to read this text together. Uh, and then we will jump to chapter 5 a little bit later in the sermon, the first couple verses of chapter 5 as well. Uh, but 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. This older apostle Paul is writing this to Timothy. And this is part of the letter that he wrote him. He said this. 
Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. There's much else that Paul said to him, but this has enough that we could talk for a long time about this, embedded in these words. And the the first thing you see that as Paul is addressing Timothy, this younger pastor, and as the Spirit would be addressing us through this text today, you see first that he tells him something to not do. He says, do not let anyone despise you for your youth. Let no one despise you for your youth. And that's where we're going to start. As, as I would think of how the, the Lord would want to address younger people in our church, I would first say this from the Word of God, is let no one despise you for your youth. Don't let older believers despise you for your youth. That this dynamic of generations interacting with each other and older people potentially despising or looking, you might say, look down upon younger people, this has been around forever. Okay, we, we sometimes think that the phrase kids these days and stuff like that just sort of originated like in the 1960s or something like with the hippie movement. It, it, did, it did not originate. Then Paul was telling Timothy 2000 years ago, there's going to be people, there's going to be people who are older than you who are going to be tempted to look down on you. We're going to be tempted to despise you, to, to look at you with suspicion, with frustration. Uh, this has been around for thousands of years and probably thousands of years before Paul wrote this to Timothy. There's this generational thing that happens where older people are tempted to look down upon those who are younger than them. I was reading an article this week where somebody uh, referenced, I forget who said this, but this term that got that did get developed uh, just uh, maybe a decade or two ago, where they, they use this word juvenoia, like this paranoia about juveniles. This has always been happening uh, in human experience. It's this like fear or hostility that's directed towards people who are a generation or two younger than us. Juvenoia. I thought that was a, a clever way, but an accurate way to describe what we experience as human beings sometimes. Older people tempted to look down upon younger people. And I, I was starting to think, why does that happen? Like, why has that always been this human tendency for, for older people to look down upon people who are younger than them? And I'm going to paint with a super broad brush right now, okay? So don't hear me saying this is exactly you, but I think you see these biblically. That amongst younger people, read the book of Proverbs, and I own this for myself at times, there can be a tendency towards foolishness. To where even sometimes not just sinfulness, but a lack of knowledge, a lack of insight that leads to behaviors and actions that the Bible would classify as foolish. But amongst older people, and this is painting with a broad brush as well, there can be a tendency towards stubbornness towards a settledness that the way I think about things, the way I do things, the way we do things, is the way to do it. Even when it's not chapter and verse in the Bible that I'm settled, I'm stubborn, I'm not willing to entertain ideas that are contrary to mine. And this is a bad combination uh, for us as human beings as volatile. When we, when we have foolishness of youth and stubbornness of old age, and those come in conflict with each other, no wonder there's this juvenoia. There's this fear of people or frustration with people who are younger than ourselves. And this is a problem. I would point out the fact that this is in First Timothy in the Bible. This is a problem that we should realize is not just out in the world, but it's in the church as well. That we're not immune from this. That this is not a place where this temptation is gone. 
uh, for older believers to look down upon younger people. This was happening in the church at Ephesus. This was happening long before it in the people of God. It'll happen until Jesus returns, that there's going to be this engagement between younger and older people where older people are tempted to look down on those who are younger than them. But Paul tells Timothy to, that, that this is not just something to accept and embrace. Like, hey, he doesn't just tell him, this, it, yours doesn't translate this way. He doesn't just say, matter of fact, older people are going to despise you, Timothy. That's not what he says, is it? Like a statement of fact. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. And so he, he wants Timothy to see this, and the Spirit will want us to see that this dynamic of, of older people looking down upon younger people, when, when we think of ourselves as a younger person, that's not just something we should just embrace, as if we would, would just say, well, they're going to be hateful, they're going to be judgmental, that's just how they are. As, a, as if it's just this reality we embrace, but it's something we're to work against. It's something we're to press back against this dynamic of suspicion and frustration that gets directed towards young people. I would say to the young people in this room, if you would put yourself in that category, I would hear me on this. You should care what older people think about you. You should care what they think about you. That's implied in this text that, that Paul is telling Timothy, don't let them despise you for your youth. Like, don't settle for that. Don't just accept that as status quo reality. Press back against it. it. Work hard to gain the respect of people, to gain a good reputation in front of these people. You as a young person, if you're a college freshman, you're in your 20s, you're younger, you're a child or a teenager, if you're in your 30s like me, if you're in your 40s, 50s, and still consider yourself a younger person, I will probably do that when I'm 40 and 50 as well. You should care about what people think about you who are older than you. You should consider that. You should weigh that and not just say, I don't care. I don't, I don't mind them. I don't, I don't care about them. You should care. You should work to let no one despise you for your youth. But if you think about this, when, when, when Paul tells him, they don't let anyone despise you for your youth, is that actually something he can do? Like, is that a command he can actually keep? Because Paul is telling him, hey, there's these attitudes people may have towards you. There's this relationship they may have towards you where they look down upon you. Don't let that happen. That can feel, when, when Timothy read that or when we read that, we may, may think this is, how can I do that? Like, how, I can't control what people think of me. I can't change their opinion. They're stubborn. They're settled. Whatever word we might want to use to describe those people who are looking down on us. We may think, I can't do that, God. How am I supposed to not let them despise me for my youth? But Paul doesn't stop that sentence there. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. That's what he's not to do. But here we hear the first thing he tells them to do. He says, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So Paul has told him, don't let other believers, older believers, despise you. But now he says this, second point, is to set older believers an example. He tells them, just matter of fact, set an example for the believers. That you're to, to live out a life of godliness in front of the very people who are tempted to look down upon you. But we may think, if we were just going to finish that sentence, how, how we might, if, if we were going to say to someone, don't let people look down on you for your youth, and then we told them something to do, like to gain the respect of people who are older than them. 
I don't know that we would have probably said it this way, set an example for them. But in our day and age, people probably who would be giving advice or instruction, and thank God we're not writing the Bible, that the Holy Spirit did this, but we might tell people, don't let people despise you for your youth, but you demand respect from people. But you assert yourself. But you do not let them have these certain judgments. You, you come forcefully, you come aggressively, you come with command, you come with authority, you come with power. But I'll tell you this, respect, according to the Bible, according to the way of Christ, respect is not to be demanded from fellow human beings. Especially those people who are older than you. You don't demand respect from older men and older women in your life. If you come doing that, I promise you, you are just going to reinforce what they already think about you. If you come to saying, you will respect me, like you will pay attention to what I say, you will listen to my argument, you are reinforcing what they already think to be true about you. That, that you are just brazen, you are foolish, you are naive, and you don't see the big picture, you will be reinforcing it. Respect is not just something to be demanded of older people. Young people in the room, you can get older people to maybe avoid you. You could get older people to maybe fear you or be intimidated by you, by the way that you act, by, the, by coming forcefully toward them. You may get people to dislike you. But you will not get people to respect you by just demanding it. Respect is not to be demanded. Paul would say to Timothy that, I would say it this way, respectability is to be demonstrated. That respect is not to just be demanded from older people, but respectability is to be demonstrated to older people. And the way that this happens, the way that we show that we are worthy of the respect of those who are older than us, is Paul says, is by setting an example for the older believers. That's how we demonstrate respectability, is by setting an example. And I'll say this as an aside, lest we misunderstand this text. Paul is writing this to a pastor. Paul's writing this to Timothy, who, like me and like a few others in our church, are pastors. And pastors have a special responsibility to set an example for the church. Pastors have a special uh, responsibility to, to live out what Christian life is supposed to look like amongst the believers. Uh, so I, I don't think it's coincidence that Paul tells Timothy in particular, set an example for the other believers in the church, Timothy. But what I would want to point out is not that that gets all the rest of the non-pastors off the hook of setting an example. But you see in this text that Paul is saying a younger person can demonstrate respectability to those who are older than him or her. Like it is possible. He's telling Timothy to do it. Timothy has a special responsibility to do it. But there's truth here that a young person can demonstrate respectability to those who are older than him or her. And so we ought to strive to do that, not just if we're a pastor, but if we're a Christian. That I'm seeking to demonstrate my respectability to those who are older than me. And you do this, young people amongst us, you do this, you demonstrate respectability by doing what God asks of you, not what older people demand of you. He says to set, and he doesn't say, let nobody despise you for your youth, but just do what they want you to do, Timothy. <laughs> like, just play along with their game. Like, do the things that they want you to do. He says to set an example for them, and then he mentions these categories that God has spoken very clearly about, of speech, conduct, of love, of faith, 
of purity. He says, live the way in front of your fellow Christians, older believers, live the way that I have told you to live, Timothy. Set an example for them in your speech. Show them that the words that you use, you use carefully. And that you're not crass in your joking and you're not condescending in your language like young people can be more tempted to at times. In your conduct, Timothy, show them that you are a man who is willing to serve. That you are a man of diligence, a man of responsibility. Show that to them by the way that you live your life. With your love, set an example. Show that you have a sense of humility, that you have a sense of commitment to do good for other people, not just to build yourself up and just to make yourself more known. Show that you love them. Show that you're a young man of faith, Timothy. Set an example for them in faith as difficulties come to you, as challenges come to you. Show them that you trust God in the fire as much as you do in the pleasant times. Like, show them you're a man of faith. Show them that you're a young man who's marked by purity, that you are a man marked by self-control and integrity. He's saying, show them how life is to be lived. And they set an example for them. And I would note for us as Christians, because every religion would tell us to do this, to, to set an example for fellow people who are part of our community. But I would note for us that Jesus did this better than anyone. That, that he set an example for the people who are older than him, younger than him. As a human being, he set an example. Think about this. Jesus could have come into the world just demanding respect from people, couldn't he? If any human being had the right to do that, to tell people of any age, any generational difference to him, that if, he had, if anyone had the responsibility to just demand respect, Say, you will respect me. You will bow down to me. You will do what I tell you to do. It would have been Christ. Christ came into the world as an infant who had to have his diapers changed. And who, if you read Luke chapter 2, had to submit to his mother and father as a 12-year-old boy. Who had to live as he became a a young man in his his younger 30s who lived with accusation and assumptions made about him. And he he was certainly not afraid to address people and correct people as needed. But the broad tenor of his life was instead of just demanding respect from people, he demonstrated his respectability. That he was the son of God, that he loved people, that, that he was here to serve us, to give his life as a ransom, not just to be served. Jesus lived this. He, he just did not come coldly, letting people just think he's arrogant and cocky and demanding of respect, but he humbly served. He humbly demonstrated and set an example for those who were right around him and now for us who thousands of years later just continue to get to hear of him. He set an example for what Christian life was, how it was to be lived. And this setting of an example, I would note for us, as we think about doing this in our own lives, setting an example is something that is done over time. A lot of times as young people, we want people to just respect us really quickly. We want people just to, because of our name or because of some reputation we have, or sometimes not even that, we just want people to respect us right away. And then trust us with responsibilities to, to treat us uh, with, with the utmost respect and give us privileges and things like that. But to say set an example implies that there's going to be time involved. That there's going to be a slowness to this. And that it has to be done with older people around you. 
like who actually get to see you, who actually get to observe the way that you live your life, the things that you do, the things that you don't do. So it's a slow process to set an example, and it's a communal process. You have to do it around other people. You have to be around people who are older than you. Now, I was jump down, jump down uh, in chapter 5 to, excuse me, not chapter 5, chapter 4, down to verse 15. When Paul continues talking, he says to Timothy, he says to practice these things, these, these gifts that he's been given. He says, immerse yourself in them. And then he'd note how he says this. He says, so that all may see your progress. Like he wanted Timothy as a young man to know this is going to be a process. This is going to be something you've got to do faithfully for years probably, if not decades. Is faithfully living out your faith in front of the people. Showing them uh, through the, the wonderful parts of life and the difficult parts of life and the highs and the lows that you are faithful to Christ. That the Spirit of God is at work in you day in and day out and year in and year out. And they will see your progress over time. That, that our lives are to be seen by the people who are older than us. And that cannot happen when we're just around our peers. I love Grace College. I, I did not go to Grace. I'm a Taylor person, but I love Grace College. I, I love what many of you who are students there get to do. But please, I would encourage you, I commend you, based even on texts like this, get around people who are not college students. You need to have people who are older than life, older than you in life, whose opinions you can care about, whose life lessons, and we'll learn more about this next week, you can learn from, whose commendations you can receive by showing them how you live life as a young man or young woman. Our progress is to be seen. Our example is to be seen by others. I was trying to think of an example or two even of young people in our church who I think faithfully have taught me as someone who likes to view myself in the middle of this age gap, this age divide, uh, some people who are younger than me, and two people that I came to mind. One, I asked if I could share about them. They said yes. The other, I'm going to surprise them. Uh, but uh, one is uh, is Claire Byers, who's sitting right here several rows back. Uh, she is a dear young woman who's part of our church. Uh, she sets an example that any of us, would, if we know her, if we see the way that she lives her life as a teacher, as a friend, as a member of her life group, as just a sister in the Lord, she is demonstrating what godliness looks like. She's demonstrated that to me. She's demonstrated that to people around her who are seeing her. And she does not come just demanding respect, but comes to serve, comes to demonstrate what godliness looks like. I appreciate you, Claire, very much as a member of our church. And the other, I don't, I, I saw him earlier, but where's Grant Cook at? Is Grant Cook in here? Is he help? That does not surprise me. He's helping with the kids' ministry right now. I know Jake bragged on him at our members' meeting last Sunday. But I wanted to brag on him for a second as well. Grant is a Grace College student who's grown up in our church since he was probably in middle school. He is a remarkable servant of God, a young man who I look up to, even though he's way younger than me. I taught him. We kind of came to church together here when his family started coming, and I started coming. It's kind of grown up in a sense, even though I'm ahead of him uh, in the life of CCC. But that young man is a remarkable example of, of a young man who is serving the Lord. Who is ser- He's right now caring for young kids in the children's ministry. Uh, he, he has a heart to help with anything in the life of the church, and, and is honest about his struggles and i've been able to see him grow i've seen his progress in the church and i appreciate examples like them who can be models for younger people in our church to live in front of those who are older than you 
to learn from them, but be an example for them because older people can learn from you. Older people can learn from you. You will gain their respect as you set an example steadily. That will be a gain for you. But they often, in seeing younger people serving out uh, and living their faith and serving uh, the church and serving Christ, that can do something remarkable in people who are older than you, more than you realize. Like when we see people who are younger than us serving our Savior just the same. And serving in a, a time of life where many people are just spending it on themselves and trying to advance themselves. And we see a younger person who's using their strength and energy to, for the advance of Christ and for the care of his people. That is inspiring. That, that's a reminder often to people who are older that, man, I, I need to get back to that. I need to have my passions rekindled, my zeal rekindled to serve the Lord like that young person. So live out your faith. Don't demand respect, but demonstrate respectability to those who are older than you. But I, I don't want us uh, to think that this, this generational um, struggle or judgment is just a one-way street, though. I don't want us to just think that, that it's only people who are older who look down on people who are younger because you jump down a handful of verses here and you're going to see quickly that Paul turns the tables on Timothy and challenges his own heart, challenges his own attitude as he relates to people who are older than him. Paul knew that this generational problem wasn't just something present in older believers in Ephesus, but that was something that was present even in the heart of their pastor as he related to older people, and he wanted to address him on it. So if you jump with me, it's a handful of verses to chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. There's just a couple sentences later in the same letter. Paul is again going to tell Timothy something not to do as he relates to older people, and he's going to tell him something to do. So follow along with me, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He continued giving some instructions to Timothy this way. Do not rebuke an older man but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So if, if he has told him, don't let anyone look down on you, don't let older believers look down on you for your youth, but set an example for them, now he's telling him, don't rebuke older believers. That would be point three to the young people Mars. Don't rebuke older believers. He says that matter-of-factly here, do not, Timothy, do not rebuke an older man. Do not do it. Don't rebuke an older man. And there is this temptation that is present in younger people that, that flares up at times to strongly correct those who are older than them, to speak harshly to the people who are older than them, to, to, to belittle them, to speak ill of them, whether to their face or to, to their peers as, as they speak about them. There's this temptation in younger people to be disrespectful, to be harsh, to be cold in how we speak to those who are older than us. And a lot of times I've seen this happen in my own life. I've had to apologize even to fellow pastors here over the years that I've served here. I've sometimes how my attitude can flare up towards those who are older than me. And what is happening often in that moment when, when younger people are tempted to lash out and tempted to, to strike, that's kind of what this language is like of rebuke, is like to strike at somebody who's older than you. What's happening often is that as a younger person, we're many times, not always, but many times we're overestimating our own wisdom. We're overestimating our own insight, 
our own level of experience. We're giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt as if I have really good intent as I correct this person. So we're overestimating sometimes what we're bringing to the table. And we underestimate the older people's. We, we underestimate their wisdom. We underestimate their insight, thinking that they have nothing to offer in this conversation or this decision. We underestimate their experience as if their years of life have nothing to contribute to the issue at hand. And we assume the worst of their intent, even as we assume the best of ours. That, that they just don't care about this, or they're just clueless, or they're just thinking about their self, things like that. And when disagreement surfaces between younger people and older people, this happens in our families a lot, but it can happen in churches, it can happen in workplaces, it can happen at schools. When, when disagreement surfaces, rather than humbly leaning in towards older people and asking questions, trying to ask, why do you think that? Or why, why do you think that that is the best thing to do? Why are you recommending that? Instead of leaning in and asking questions and trying to give the benefit of the doubt, often we just come assertively and decisively and sometimes even aggressively and angrily towards people as if we can just dismiss their viewpoints, as if we can just dismiss them. This happens, I was trying to think of ways this happens. This can happen, we've all either been givers of this or receivers of this, of the famous teenage eye roll. Uh, when somebody is told something and, and eyes roll uh, back in the head uh, because we think a mom or dad just doesn't get it. You just don't get it, mom or dad. Or when we, we're interacting with our grandparents who we think are just stuck in the past, we'll use phrases like that and we'll get frustrated with them. We get frustrated with bosses who won't just get with the times and update to the way that we think things should be done. We especially see this, and I just want to forewarn us about this in 2020. We especially see this with politics, like where people get so flared up. And it happens both directions, but young people, we get so flared up about political issues as if the people who are older than us are clueless, as if they've never thought about these things, as if they've never considered things. And instead of thinking they may have other things we should consider, we just assume they're out in left field. Assume that they're heartless. And we, we can come towards older people and we can speak so harshly and aggressively even sometimes to people who are older than us. And this has always been the case. This has been an ancient problem. Paul is telling Timothy, don't do that because he knows Timothy is going to be tempted to do that, even in first century Ephesus. So this has always been a problem, this frustration of older people to younger people and striking out at them. But I think it's even more pronounced even in our generation because of technological advances and things like that that are developing so rapidly. And because families no longer often live together generationally, but we just stay apart. We don't often even really interact with people who are older than us very often. I think this generational divide and the temptation to get frustrated towards people who are older than us is just getting worse. It's increasing, like where there's an increasing gap, an increasing frustration of older to younger and younger people to older people. And this lashing out, this rebuking is becoming more common. And people are becoming way more free with it and, and speaking out against those who are older than them. And Paul tells Timothy, do not do that. This is to their pastor he's telling them this. Like, don't rebuke those who are older than you. I want us to think about this, again, from a uniquely Christian perspective, that Christ was the perfect model of this for us. 
there is anybody who has the right to forcefully correct people. To say, you just don't get it. He could have said that, right? He could have come aggressively to those who are older than him, to younger than him, and said, you guys just don't get it. Like, listen to me. Like, I have all the answers, and he really would have had all the answers. I have all the wisdom. Like, listen to me. Do what I say. And he could have just strongly, coldly corrected us or even crushed us. Like, he had more right and power to do those things than any of us do as we're speaking to an older person. But instead of striking at people, instead of just forcefully coming at people and correcting and rebuking and and coming with aggression, Jesus let himself be struck. Instead of just coming, guns blazing and, and fists up, ready to fight with people, he came ready to lay his life down, and he did. For people who weren't just old or foolish, but people who were sinful, people who were rebels against him, instead of striking out at us, he said, I will lay my life down for you. And he did. When he went to the cross, he took our sins, even of these generational divides and many, many other sins, he took on himself and let himself be crushed. When he had every right to strike out, he let himself be crushed. And so it is no wonder that we are called to not rebuke people, to not be harsh with people in the body of Christ, but to be gentle, to even when correction is needed, because it is needed. Jump down to verse 20 of chapter 5, and Timothy's commanded to correct people in certain contexts. It, it needs to come sometimes, even from younger people to older people. But what Paul is telling Timothy is that by and large, even if it ever comes to that, where you need to address something in an older person's life, you ought to do it with gentleness and humility and respect for them. Not assuming that you have all the answers, that you have all the wisdom, that you have all the factors, but giving them the benefit of the doubt and being gracious to them as you do it. Young people, we should not harshly rebuke those who are older than us. We, we should not come at them aggressively, but we should come humbly when we need to challenge them. Asking questions, being, being loving as we engage those who are older than us. The, the positive command that Paul gives here in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, if he says, do not rebuke an older man, the positive command that he gives is he says to encourage him as you would a father. And that would be my fourth and last point for us who are younger, is that we are to encourage older believers. Not just to not correct them, not just to not despise them, but we are to encourage them. We're commanded to encourage the people who are older than us in the faith. What this implies is that older saints need encouragement. Sometimes we don't even think of them that way. Sometimes we're just either detached from them, we're detached from the people who are older than us, or uh, we assume that, man, they've got life going okay. Like they've got uh, things that are smooth for them. And we, we know of all of our ailments, all of our frustrations, all of our discouragements, but somehow we start to think that those who are older, that things are just smoother and easier for them, that they don't need encouragement. But Paul is commanding Timothy, Encourage those who are older than you. Encourage the people who are further along than you in life and in the faith. And older saints need encouragement, whether they realize it or not. 
whether they acknowledge it or not. Like the people who are older in our church need the encouragement of those who are younger in our church. Think about this. Those who are older than you, they carry weights and concerns in their hearts that haven't even crossed your mind to consider. Like they are carrying burdens for their families, for the world, for themselves that haven't even like been a blip on your radar screen yet. They have more of reason they may need encouragement. They have more years of life to look back on with regret than you do. They have a lot more mistakes that they've made and things that play in their mind of regrets that they have for the past that they've lived. That they need to be encouraged. Remember, Christ has paid for those things. They have fewer years of life to look ahead to than you do. Their bodies, not that young people cannot suffer, but by and large, their bodies are starting to ail them more than yours are that they feel their weakness, that they feel the grave coming closer, even if it is a ways off for them still in God's typical providence, they feel the grave coming closer to them, something that may not typically even cross your mind. They have peers like Ed being buried while your peers are maybe starting college or dating somebody or starting a job. Those are exciting, wonderful things. Their peers are being buried. Their peers, instead of starting new jobs, are losing their jobs because they just become an asset that companies would like to get rid of because of the high pay scale they have. Like they have things that are on their hearts that they need encouragement about that you probably would not ever even realize or think about unless you take time to purposefully give attention to it. And we as younger believers can encourage them. We can listen to their concerns. We can pray with them. We can do things like we can ask for their advice. Let's do that more. I ask for the advice of older people. I promise you that will be an encouragement to them. Uh, To to actually genuinely ask their opinion about how should I do this or help me think about this. You will often see the face of someone who's older than you light up if you ask that. And it's an encouragement for them to feel their usefulness. I was talking to Pastor Tom this week about some other things. And he was telling me that when younger people in the church ask his input uh, for things that he, he said something along these lines. He said that it makes him want to rise up as an older man, and provide that advice and encouragement that's worthy of their asking. It's like when we actually ask questions and seek input of those who are older, it will affect those who are older and make them want to be better. It'll it'll make them see, man, I can still, I should still be active in the life of this body, in the life of this church. We as young people can remind older people of their value. We, we can help them see the value of their wisdom, the value of their experience, the value of their gifts in the body. We can help them with their physical needs. As they get older and older and have less ability to, to care for themselves or to even do things like raking leaves in a couple months, things like that, we can help them. We can be an encouragement to them even by the way we use our physical strength and energy to serve. So we have an opportunity, a responsibility even, it's not optional, to encourage the people who are older than us in the faith. So think about how you can do that, who you can provide that for. There's a phrase that has developed uh, in recent uh, generations where in the English-speaking world, at least, people say that youth is wasted on the young. That's a phrase that we say. And I think we all know what we mean when we say that as we get older. Uh, 
I am actually starting to get to where I think I could say something like that. Like I wish that I was in my 20s again or a teenager again, even though I know uh, that many of you may be envious of the stage of life I'm at. But what we mean is that young people often, the, the zeal, the passion, the strength, the energy, the ability to bounce back, the, the creativity, all these things that, that typically accompany youth are usually being used or utilized by a young person who doesn't really know what they're doing with it yet. Like who's trying to figure it out, who's trying to just uh, keep their head afloat or maybe advance their own, uh, own cause and make their name great. And it's not till we get older often where we start to realize that life is about living for Christ. Life's about living for others. Life's about these things and not just about me. And that once we've realized that, we wish we could be young again to use that strength, to use that energy, to use that passion. But I would say that youth is not something for believers that has to be wasted. Like it's something that I would say can be wielded. It's something that God entrusts us for a short span of time of life, but that can be used in a way that honors other people in the church, that honors the example of Christ. It can be wielded in a way that is purposeful, and a big part of that is how we engage with those who are older. Not just living life for myself or living life with my peers, but intentionally as a young person turning the world's view of things on its head and saying, I want to serve the people who are older than me. I want to listen to them. I want to take care of them. I want to learn from them. I, I love how Paul, in these verses that we read, chapter 5, 1 and 2, uses family language. He talks about fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters because when we're united with Jesus we're also brought into a family we're brought into a church family there's people who are younger than us and older than us or who are our peers and our family has struggles like every family there's generational discord and temptations to be bitter between generations but Christ by his Holy Spirit can help us live amongst the generations uh, in a way that brings honor that's not full of discord but full of unity, full of love. That's not just having animosity towards each other and frustration with each other and skepticism toward each other, but we can lean in. We can be gracious. We can be humble as we engage with people who are older than us and younger than us. Oftentimes when we experience that juvenile, we can think of the other generations almost like an enemy. And I'll just remind us, we have an enemy and it is not each other older people are not your enemy and older people in our church us younger people i'll put myself in that category for this purpose we're not your enemy like we are a family and we struggle to listen to each other but we can listen to each other we struggle to to serve each other but we will serve each other the spirit can work this in us but we learn to serve and to live together young and old alike and when the generations of God's people start to lovingly interact with each other the world wonders how did that happen like how, how, how why does this 73 year old kneel down and give high fives to three-year-olds who walk in the door why does my six-year-old say I miss Mr. Ed when she walks into church this morning it makes the world wonder and it makes Satan worry because he sees that we're in this together. Like we, until Jesus comes back from heaven, no matter how many generations it is here, we are going to work together young and old alike to make him known in the world. And we are going to love each other as we do it. Amen.
I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and we'll sing one more song um, before we leave with the word of benediction. But let's pray together.